Now, the Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome, everybody. It's great to be here with you. I am excited to share this information from our Restoring Health in a Toxic World Health and Wellness Summit we held on May 13th in Gettysburg at the Eisenhower Hotel and Conference Center. It was a fabulous day filled with incredible information that you and me need to understand so that we can be better equipped to navigate the healthcare systems and protocols being mandated to us in some cases, but allow us to have information we need in order to more effectively take care of ourselves and our own wellness. We have to be our own health advocates at this point. I'd like you to take a listen to this segment that was done by Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, a molecular biologist and expert on understanding the science behind the COVID shots and the effects of mRNA on the DNA and some of the other attacks that are going on in our systems as a result of these medicines associated with COVID. Dr. Stephanie Coxon does the introduction for Dr. James Weiler. Thanks to Stephanie for her tremendous work on making sure that people are informed and this idea of full informed consent is really important. So here we go. Enjoy the show. Absolutely remarkable information that we've had up here. And it kind of reminds me when a caterpillar goes to the cocoon, it thinks it's dying. But what comes out is the butterfly. Be the butterfly. That's where you're that's where we're going. We're all going to be butterflies because of this last three years. Our next speaker, Dr. James Lyons Weiler, I have known for 20 years. He's probably the smartest person I've ever met. He's a little intimidating because his brain goes 20 times faster than what I can speak. And knowing him since my early 20s and knowing that he was okay with vaccinations and and everything else as a scientist, he's a doctor in molecular biology, I never really wanted to touch it too quickly with him, the, the topic, because I knew he could outthink me faster than I could make a statement. And it was probably... I'm going to say eight to to nine years ago, that he was writing his first book about the environment and autism. And I was at the release and I said to him, I said, look, I said, when you're getting your PhD, the very first thing they tell you across the board is the science is never settled, except in vaccinations. Why is that? Isn't that a red flag? And so on his Facebook page, I'd leave little emotional hints. Because he's so smart, he's willing to listen to anything because nothing's ever settled in his head. He's probably one of the most impressive people I've ever met, open-minded, just wants to know the truth and will do anything to help another individual. I am so honored to introduce to you guys today, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. His resume is too big to really go through, but this guy has been at the forefront of medical freedom now for years before any of us knew there was an issue, he was there. And so it's just a great honor to have him come on and talk to us today. Well, Stephanie, thank you. What can I say? You're, you're an amazing person. I deeply appreciate the, the introduction. 
we're standing at a crossroads in our society with respect to how we're going to run the United States of America, how we're going to run governments in, in different states, including the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And what I was asked to do today was to put together a presentation to share with you what I know and what many, many doctors and scientists now know, but most of the public does not know on many different topics. I'm going to try to not go into too much details because that will make mean I'll go long and I don't want to go long. But I created the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge in 2015 to conduct research in the public interest without profit motive because profit biases science. And biased science leads to harm. It leads to the commoditization of human health. The you know, for-profit medicine wasn't always for-profit. Was, there was a time where it wasn't allowed to be for-profit. And now we're reaping uh, the so-called benefits. Um, if you ask the CDC what kind of adverse events you might see following the COVID-19 mRNA injections, you go to their website, you'll find things like anaphylaxis, combined with apologies about how rare these are. Thrombosis with thrombocytopenia, they have fought against, they don't want to say that it's occurring. Myocarditis and pericarditis, they fought against it, we won. They now are saying, yes, it's occurring. Guillain-Barre syndrome, they fought against it, we won. Now, and when I say we won, I mean in via looking at independent research, as well as the research uh, from the, the systems that they use to produce data, uh, where the signal's so high, it's undeniable. When I say we won, I mean reality won. A death following, following vaccination, uh, the only thing CDC can say is that deaths have occurred following vaccination. They will, they will never attribute a single death to a vaccine uh, on their website. Uh, what else is going on though? Perhaps, as I said, in the, it, as I put, put to the title here, we were not told everything. Well, I want you to strap in because even those who have been paying closest attention um, I think you're, you're you're in for a surprise and a shock with respect to the degree to which the public is completely misinformed on the reality of the risks of accepting an mRNA vaccination. This is a short list of autoimmune conditions that are in the public literature that are known to occur following COVID-19 vaccines. You can access this list via my Substack, where I publish my articles. It's called Popular Rationalism. All the citations are given. And I said this is a short list because not all autoimmune conditions have been studied. When the FDA added a warning to COVID-19 vaccines uh, in June in 2021 for risk of heart inflammation and myocarditis, the week before, the committee that studies adverse events and reviews the data on adverse events were told by Dr. Tom Shimabakura, which we now understand, who we now understand is the CDC's fixer, to make adverse events go away. That in the nation's most reliable database, studying millions of patients who had received the vaccination compared to those who had not received the vaccination, the vaccine safety data link 
which only his organization has access to, I don't have access to, he could not find any signal on heart inflammation. And yet, given the consilience of the evidence from other sources, the FDA was forced to put a warning on it. If we only had the VSD and there was no independent science and there were no other scientists looking at data and publishing from other resources, we would not see warnings against myocarditis and pericarditis. But now this is now the CDC is going to say, of course, this is rare. But they never define rare for us. It's scientists like Dr. Jessica Rose and Dr. Peter McAuliffe, who you heard about earlier. I work with Peter closely. We consult on a regular basis on projects. We share information. We attend the same events and present the same events. <clears throat> they, while, while Jessica was with IPAC, and that's why you see the Institute for Peer and Applied Knowledge, a PA organization, she and Dr. McAuliffe tried to publish this report, a report on myocarditis adverse events in the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. VAERS is an alternative data source. The journal accepted the paper and then unaccepted the paper, which means they didn't really re reject it, but it's not quite a withdrawal. A withdrawal would be where the author said there's a problem with the paper. They gave no explanation for this. You can still find the manuscript online, but it's not the same as being in the peer-reviewed literature. The journal provided, it's an Elsevier journal, provided zero explanation, none whatsoever, on, on why this happened. This particular study is a fixed, is one of the fixer studies. This, this study, uh, University of Buffalo, uh, and other places, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard University, Medical University, reported that they failed to find venous thromboembolism. That is a clotting disorder. Now, you heard earlier correctly that COVID-19 is an endothelial disease. You might not know what that means. What that means is that the cells in your body that express the ACE2 receptor become affixed with the spike protein from the vaccine. Also from the virus, but from the vaccine. And when those cells are affixed to this S protein, the spike protein, they actually form syncytia. They can cause cells to combine and become one cell. They can find, they can create polymers or chains of cells that otherwise would be free floating. The insides of our um, <clears throat> uh, circulatory system shut off free cells all the time as the cells age. And the clotting that is happening, they're not blood clots. They're endothelial tissue made into polymers. This is my hypothesis. The color is the same as aged endothelial tissue. That, that is not oxygenated. Um, they're solid. Uh, studies that looked at the constituents of the clots, they don't have the same constituents whatsoever like a blood clot would have. We don't see the fibrinogen, we don't see other things. So, you know, during my time at the University of Pittsburgh, when I was the in charge of the bioinformatics analysis corps, and while I was at the University of Pittsburgh Kilman Cancer Center, and in the Department of Pathology, and full faculty at the Cancer Center, if I saw a study, if I did a study like this, 
then I, if I was involved in it, I, I would not want to be involved in it. I would pull my name from it. Because the way that they analyze the data to make the association, they, think, they boast that there's millions of patients that are in this data set that they had looked at. But what they did, <clears throat> excuse me, is they adjusted the association statistically for age, sex, BMI, and two-year Alex Hauser score. What is that? And race. Well, the Alex Hauser score is something like 38 different variables, one of which is whether the person has any clotting disorder. So you take the outcome of a study where you have vaccinated and unvaccinated, and then you say, look, you see an association with clotting, you adjust for clotting, and it goes away. That's horrible. Okay. So the biasing of the information is profound. Early on, we saw biodistribution reports. This is, is an example. Vaccine manufacturers assured us that the vaccine mostly stays at the site of injection in the muscle. But then we saw biodistribution studies such as this one by Ball et al. And we see that it goes everywhere. The one data point that's missing from this, and there's no explanation for it in their study and no commentary, ovaries. We don't see any ovaries in the Ball study. But we know that it, it actually accumulates, and I'll show you the data there. Um, <clears throat> these are the data from a prior version of the vaccine that was studied in animals. It was not developed for, this is the this technology that's being studied, the mRNA jabs with the liquid uh, lipid nanoparticles for influenza. When they looked at the biodistribution here, they, they, they saw that it went everywhere in the brain. This is the ball at all study, okay? Including the brain, all right? That's where it comes from. A more recent report by the company contracted by Pfizer to study the clearance shows that it accumulates in the liver, in the spleen, in the lung, in the brain, the adrenals, and the kidney, and the heart. That's what they reported. This is not what Pfizer told us. This is on the uh, Acutus company website. And I have a list of links, which I'll send to Stephanie and she's free to send them out so you can verify all of this. This Japanese report is one of the ones that was brought forward by Steve Kirsch and others pointing out that, yeah, the injection site has some there. The adrenal glands have some there, but there's over it. It goes from 0 0.14, you know, half an hour after injection at 48 hours is 12.3. It accumulates in the ovaries. And Pfizer knew this. It was part of the Pfizer data. Dr. Naomi Wolf has a video out there where she presented at Hillsdale College. And she shows that Pfizer knew this and did not report it. The accumulation of LNPs in the site of the ovaries where the body has no way to metabolize the LNPs is potentially problematic, uh, especially for fertility and autoimmunity. What do we have in terms of immune thrombocytopenia where you're losing blood cells? We have anecdotes because the studies just haven't been done. They haven't looked at the, uh, in, a, in an objective way, sufficiently on the thrombocytopenia, the loss of the blood cells. But be aware that the LMPs themselves on their own accord have their own toxicity. They seem to induce autoimmunity. They can get into the brain without any mRNA inside it. 
the nanoparticles themselves are were actually studied as a potential way to develop uh, to deliver drugs to the brain. The uh, mRNA COVID vaccine can be detected in breast milk. This particular study shows that it's a small percentage. Don't worry about it. However, the safety of that small percentage of infants that are exposed to this technology through their alimentary canal, which is open to everything in breast milk, they absorb everything in the breast milk. No studies on that. Spike protein itself has its own unique cellular toxicity. And by that, I mean when the spike protein from the vaccine actually causes two cells to adhere to each other, they can form a fusion bridge. It's a stable fusion bridge. So those two cells can start sharing their cellular contents, the cytoplasm. So now you have a two nucleated cell. You have your nuclei are supposed to, your cells are supposed to have one nucleus. It's very difficult for the heart muscle to work properly to maintain the proper gradient of sodium ions, potassium ions, uh, to exhibit the proper pulsing behavior. So those cells eventually will die, and our immune systems go into the heart to remove the dead cells. This is the most likely cause of myocarditis. It's one of them. Another one of them I'll, I'll mention in a moment. And, and here's a study that, that says what I just said. SARS-CoV-2 spike protein-mediated cardiomyocyte fusion may contribute to increased arrhythmic risk. Very recently, we just learned that there's retinal occlusions happening, retinal vascular occlusions in, in those people who are COVID-19 vaccinated. And the risk is very, very high. A hazard ratio of two, three, or four of these types of occlusions, extremely high risk. This chart shows what happens over time, and it's something that is long-term. It's not a short-term transient risk. This is a long-term permanent risk. The vaccine may blind millions. What do we do about it? Well, earlier there was some discussion commentary on how when you vaccinate a human being or an animal with some RNA technology like this, that it could be used to update. I just want to be clear what 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 when when those marketing these technologies are saying is we can update the the contents of the vaccine. So when we, if a person at time point zero is vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2, and now later on if we have SARS-CoV-15, you know we'll be able to update it and put new variants in there. And they've done that, right? But that person was correct when she said that it can be included in the human genome. And the concern is not so much that you're updating the human being this way, you're actually causing a random insertional mutagenesis when you, the mRNA can get into the cell and if reverse transcription happens and we know that it can, there are three studies, this is just one, three studies that show that in human cells, it can get into the nucleus and the mRNA can actually be re reverse transcribed into the DNA and written into our DNA, we start endogenously producing spike protein mRNA, which goes out to the cytoplasm, and that becomes a spike protein. So those cells start producing spike protein. Teens with myocarditis have far more freely circulating spike protein in their blood 
than can possibly be explained by the dose given in the vaccine. We are doing genetic programming of human beings and we don't know what we're doing. What, what happens when you put a mutagen like this into, the, into a mammalian genome? You have genomic instability. Genomic instability is a hallmark of cancer. So there's grave concerns. You're disrupting all kinds of pathways. Hopefully the immune system will find it. However, the FDA went ahead and approved of this because in their report, the Pfizer reminded the FDA that carcinogenicity testing is generally not considered necessary prior to the development and licensure of vaccine products. That's in a confidential appendix, not transparent. This is part of the information that they wanted to keep under wraps for 75 years until Aaron Siri, the amazing uh, lawyer and personal friend of mine, worked so hard to make sure that all of us could see what Pfizer was doing. And he just got another rule, the same judge ruled that the FDA has to produce 180,000 pages of data on the submission of Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, I think it's a week. 180,000 a week or a month or something. When you have reverse transcribed mediated insertional mutagenesis, you're going to have immune tolerance because you're starting to produce the protein. The body's going to think that the spike protein is normal, so you're not going to mount a, successfully mount an immune response. This is just one of eight ways that we have immunosuppression from mRNA vaccination. Well, antibodies, your whole immune system is going to think that the next time it sees that spike protein in nature, that it's a normal human protein. Genomic instability, we mentioned that. Cancer risk, chronic spike production with unknown biological effects. I'm not the only person saying this. Here's some literature. My goal here is to tell you that there's sound scientific basis for the concern over what's being hidden from the public by the FDA and the CDC not bringing this information forward. This particular person is very concerned about uh, this process where um, they're, they're from um, Mexico, but they, they know systems biology very well. They're very concerned about, <coughs> excuse me, the, the intercellular effects of, of DNA damage and, and pro-inflammatory cytokines. So when we see the, the type of transformations of the cellular biology, we don't expect to see pro-inflammatory cytokines as a, as a direct result of just expressing an RNA in the cytoplasm, like we were promised. This is just going to be RNA expression. Well, you know that they go to the, to the, to the liver so it's not a surprise that you're going to see hepatitis. Well, hepatitis of this type, CD8 T cell dominant hepatitis is a precursor for liver cancer, precursor condition. Now, this is my research at IPEC-EDU. I'm sorry, at IPEC. I'm, I'm not going to go, go into great detail, but er, the spike protein itself contains parts of proteins or subpeptides, parts of proteins or epitopes, that are unsafe, and I call them unsafe because we public. I published this paper in April 2020, the minute I got my hands on the spike protein mRNA sequence. I analyzed all the proteins for for uh, for the virus, and I found, among other things, that the spike protein itself has the capacity to cause autoimmunity. 
I did this as fast as I could to try to put out a red flag warning. If you're going to make a vaccine, exclude these parts of the protein. Under FDA regulations, they have to test the safety of the proteins. They, they're not doing it in vaccines ever, any vaccine. Um, Vajdani et al. from Harvard University took my study, validated it in the lab and showed that yes, the, 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 you can take these uh, spike protein and other viral proteins and you can predict using the tools that I used, which parts of the protein are going to cause an autoimmune condition, one of which I found was Titan, which is a heart protein, and it will, in fact, create B cells that will produce self-autoreactogenic antibodies. How did they miss all of this? How in the world, with all of the signal, all of what I know, all these you know big words, system biology, everything that you just saw, the entire clinical study was set up as a sham to induce efficacy bias and to induce safety bias. Think about it. You get a dose on day one. And then you get a dose two weeks later. That was the original setup. But you don't measure the outcome in the clinical trials until another three weeks. So you do your measurement at five weeks. Now, why is that? The argument is, oh, you don't, you're not really vaccinated until you have both doses and until your immune system has caught up and actually starts producing the antibodies. What? You buy a child a skateboard on day one. They don't really know how to do skateboarding yet. If there's a flaw in the skateboard and it makes the skateboard unsafe and that child gets hurt, we're going to wait till five weeks after before we assess the safety of the skateboard. That's the logic here. Okay. So they did this both for the vaccinated group and the saline control group. Until they found out that myocarditis was such a huge risk, they decided to delay the second dose until five weeks, so now we're eight weeks. You get dose on day one, five weeks later, you get the dose, so you're still gonna wait three more weeks. So now you're you know, eight weeks out until you're actually measuring it. Almost all the adverse events that occur and the COVID cases that occur in the vaccinated occur within the first week. This is another early publication of mine from January in 2021. In this publication, I found that the original 95% efficacy was not 95%, it was 75% because of this. They excluded people from the study that developed COVID until five weeks after the vaccination. They just threw the data away. That's called outcome ascertainment bias, and it guaranteed them to have a high efficacy. You'll recall that the FDA required at least 50% efficacy, which is a really low bar. They started at 75%. I'm not the only person saying this, but also you can look at relative risk reduction of infection at the onset with the original data in the Pfizer-Moderna trials versus absolute risk reduction. The relative risk reduction they claim was not 95%. I say it's 75%. This person, Ron Brown, uh, School of Public Health, University of Waterloo in Canada, did a very good service here. He pointed out, do the math, calculate absolute risk reduction. It's only 0.7% absolute risk reduction and 1.1% for Moderna. So Pfizer's 0.7, less than 1% absolute risk reduction, considering all the people, okay? And we have a problem if we think that we're saving the world with absolute risk reduction this low. Okay. 
Okay, we have a problem that we're not being told everything on time. There's delays in reporting of what we know. All right, this this particular report, um, this particular report <clears throat> leads to uh, the, our knowledge now that Pfizer had data on wax uh, waning efficacy way back, you know, in in 2021 or, or first first quarter 2021. But the Pfizer data, did, which the FDA knew about, didn't appear anywhere until it showed up in a preprint four months later. And this was too, it was delayed specifically so that the approval could go through and so the vaccine program could roll out. This is just Dr. Jessica Rowe's report in my journal, where I'm the editor-in-chief. She's the first person to report that out of all of those adverse events that happened, they almost all happened in the first three days. But we're not counting it for eight weeks, and we're not. Then we're going to hold on to the results, and we're going to not publish it for for six months. Um, she's criticizing the the vaccine adverse events reporting system here. But the the part of the figure I want to show here is Figure One, where she shows all all years from 2011 till 2021 when the vaccine came on board. We had an order of magnitude increase in the number of adverse events reporting, and uh, number of deaths reported. This is just the first three months of the vaccine program. So every other year, the vaccine adverse events that were reported was about, there were about 50,000. And then we, within the first three months of the vaccine program, we had 428,000, 420, come on. And, the, and, and the, the CDC has the gall to say in different times, VAERS is reliable here, but it's not reliable there. It, I'm coming to, to the end here, but I want to point you all to this very important letter that was just published on May 12th by Dr. Joe Ladapo. It was sent to Robert Califf at FDA, who I sent warnings to about how they were handling uh, the testing and the vaccines, and Dr. Rochelle Lewinsky, who I also sent professional warnings to about what they were doing. And I'm just going to summarize this letter for you, because this is his second attempt to solicit a reasonable response. He points out that there are unanswered questions and that we haven't been told everything. Why is there a 1,700% increase in deaths and serious events, adverse events related to vaccines following COVID-19 vaccine? Why are one third of all vaccine recipients incapacitated to the point where they can't work? You, you may recall that I had a viral video when I came to Harrisburg and I gave a presentation. I said that the original Pfizer study and Moderna study, one of them, had 21% adverse events. The fact checkers attacked me. They said it wasn't real. They pointed to the wrong study. I was pointing to the original one. They were wrong. They never retracted their fact checking of me. One third of all vaccine recipients are incapacitated by this vaccine. So they can't to the point where they can't go back to work for, for a number of days. Why were the serious adverse events that were detected and known by FDA in 2021 not reported until 2023? Why was the deadline for Pfizer to report myocarditis results delayed and then postponed until June of 2023? They knew about it early. Why were there no requirements of randomized clinical trials on pregnant women? Why is there bias reporting of vaccine adverse events outcome? I just showed you, but he wants to hear it from the CDC. In an online survey, when you're taking the vaccine, you're supposed to go and fill out exactly what's happened when you're part of a randomized clinical trial. 
they had no place to report serious adverse events. They had mild adverse events. He wants to know why was that done that way? Why has the CDC and the FDA not published that there's a 3% risk of myocarditis in young boys? One, three out of 100 kids. Why is there no comment from CDC and FDA on long-term negative efficacy? They're still saying that there's a reduction in hospitalization, but they don't count the events until eight weeks after vaccination. What about deaths? No comment from, uh, we know that the, the long-term negative efficacy is now being reported by independent researchers like my, my own. I didn't do that study, somebody else did. But why do we have to re rely on independent research to find out these things when it's too late now for the hundreds of millions of people who are vaccinated? Why is there no comment on the CDC, FDA, on increased risks that are now known on permanent chronic illness, including um, dysautonomia and uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome? So very quickly in summary, we have not been, and we are still not being told everything. This is a matter of institutional failure. This is not a matter of doing science sloppily. This is all intentional, okay? They know how to do it right. We need revolutionary reform in how our institutions are to that protect public interests are structured, how they're funded, and how they're run. For more information, you can find us at ipaknowledge.org, ipac-edu.org, and of course, popularrationalism.substack.com. Thank you. You've been listening to the presentation by Dr. James Lyons-Weiler at our Restoring Health in a Toxic World Health and Wellness Summit. To hear the entire presentation, please go to the Jen Charlton Show on Rumble or go to the WFMD or WFMD.com podcast page.